I see. Did you survive the holiday with all your digits intact? Thank you for making this part of your uh, holiday activities. I hope you got here in time to see the uh, the video that Pastor Dustin put of the youth camp. All oh, looked like a, a ton of fun they had. If you didn't, it's online. Just uh, lock in there and log in there and and take a look at the the fun week they had. And we just want to be sure that we thank many of you who. Uh, sponsored kids uh, many of you paid the in full the full amount that it took to send kids so we took a a truckload <laughs> of kids to camp many of them could not have gone without your kindness to help send them so thank you very much and uh, i believe the lord's going to do some lasting things through the time that uh, they had there a week to dedicate to getting to know other christian kids and to having church every night for hours <laughs> For hours and hours. If you've ever been to youth camp, you know it's marathon worship. <clears throat> well, let's get into your uh, sermon section. Let's get into your app if you have that. And uh, let's learn a little bit about kingdom community this morning. I've been talking to you about kingdom community as, as identified by love. And it is uh, identified by partnerships of service. And today the kingdom community relieves suffering through generosity. And I want to go to Acts chapter 2, beginning with verse 44, and just show you a picture of the original church and how it did things. It says, all the believers were together and had everything in common. Now, be careful with that. We're not talking about communism or socialism there. And all the Republicans said, (laughs) and all the Democrats said, And everybody just be quiet. That's good. Had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. There is a spiritual principle here, and I really think we need to take note of it. And the spiritual principle says this. Are you ready? Are you ready? Have you shifted into teaching mode yet? There's a spiritual principle that says that when spiritual intensity is high... So is generosity. When spiritual intensity is high, so is generosity. When I am really on fire for God is when I am the most generous. I need more than one amen there. (laughs) So I'll say it again. When you are really on fire for God, that's when you will be the most generous. See? That wasn't difficult, you bunch of tightwads. When people have an experience with God that floods their souls, it also opens their wallets. <laughs> wow, is this just too relevant? You know, um, it wasn't socialism, it wasn't communism, it was generosity. And I I can prove to you it was a heart-level thing, not a legal thing. They didn't put all their money in one bank account and give it out. If you look at Acts chapter 5, and before we get there, let me set this up a little bit. (coughs) People began to sell property and give it away. And at the end of chapter 4, Barnabas sells property and comes and lays the, the money at the apostles' feet and says, give it to anybody that needs it. 
And so I'm not sure how this happened, but I'm pretty sure that everybody said, Yay, God, thank Barnabas. And they were celebrating Barnabas, and they were talking about Barnabas. This is my conjecture. You know, don't take this too far. But I think he must have got a whole lot of attention and a whole lot of praise. Barnabas sold land and gave every bit of the proceeds to the apostles, and the apostles gave it out to anybody who needed it. And everybody's, yay, 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 yay. And so there was a couple sitting in the church by the name of Ananias and Sapphira, and they really liked the attention that Barnabas got. That's my conjecture now. I'll tell you what I'm doing scripture. This is conjecture. They really liked the attention that Barnabas got for doing this great act of generosity. And they said, you know, it'd be great if people praised us like that. So let's sell some land and give the money to the church so people will say good things about us. Problem was, they forgot that God knows everything. Do you ever forget God knows everything? So they sold some land. They didn't have Barnabas' spiritual life. They didn't have his heart. So they kept back part of it because they just couldn't release it. You know, when you're buying praise, you're stingy. You know, you, you can't give it all because it's, it's too much a part of you. When you're buying accolades, you kind of get stingy. So they kept back part of it, probably a significant part of it, and they gave the rest of it, but they said they gave everything. And Peter said, you lied to the Holy Spirit, and God struck them dead. <laughs> so that day the ushers didn't just take up the offering, they carried out dead bodies. And uh, here is uh, what Peter says. Didn't the property belong to you before you sold it? That's why I know it wasn't communism and it wasn't socialism. They still owned the land privately. Didn't the property belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You've not lied to men, but to God. So he's saying, they didn't have to do this. They could have kept all of it. But the fact that they did this, said they did, they did not reverence the holiness of God. See, let's skip down to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. If a man will not work, I don't know. What did it say? If a man will not work, you see, well, this church was full of generosity, and anytime you find a bunch of generous people, you're probably going to find people moving toward them to take advantage of that generosity. And so he says, when I was with you, I told you this rule, if a man will not work, he shall not eat. Now, it says will. Now, it didn't say if a man can't work. It says if he won't work, if he will not work, if he has the capacity, he just wants to live off of other people, then don't let him eat. We hear that some among your idle, they are not busy, they are busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the... The Lord Jesus Christ to settle down, earn the bread they eat. As for you, brothers, 
never tire of doing what is right. So there is this principle in the Bible that says without a legitimate need, generosity is a bad thing. Hello? Without a legitimate need, generosity can be a bad thing. Did you know that some people have been so generous with their kids that their kids are dysfunctional? The kids can't make a living because mom and dad just keep shoveling money at them and they never figure out how to, to make it on their own. You guys are not having any fun, are you? I, uh, I'm not going to get political, and they all said, you guys want me to, I guess. Are we here? I heard one of the presidential candidates said a few days ago that if he's elected president, every citizen will get $1,000 a month no matter what they do or don't do. So I can just go sit down. Got to get everything paid off, you know, because you can't make... And, and, and we will get $1,000 a month just to sit around the house all the time. Doesn't that sound great? But such an idea will destroy certain people. Because they will lose all ambition to do anything productive with their life. And it will take away the responsibility we have to take care of our families. It's, not, it's just not biblical. So, those who will not work are not to be permitted to live off the work of those who will. That's a biblical principle. That's not a political principle. That's a biblical principle. But now let's get back to this issue of those of us who are working and who are earning a living. How does that reflect our attitude toward the kingdom of God? I know I'll hop around a little bit and we'll take notes in a minute, but right now, go with me to 1 John chapter 3, verse 14. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers and sisters. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Down a little bit, a little ways. This is how we know what is love. Jesus Christ laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother or sister in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue but with action and truth. So he says, if the love of God is in me, I will not be able to look at my brothers and sisters in need and ignore it. The love of God will compel me. It will obligate me. But... We can't afford it. We can't afford it. We say this all the time, don't we? I would help, but I can't afford it. Someone doesn't have the means to to buy clothes for their kids. I'd help, but I can't afford it. And so we walk around with this, I can't afford it. And you know, if I could just be blunt, you know me, you know me, me and bluntness doesn't go together very well. What we usually mean when we say, I can't afford it, what we mean is, I can't help you significantly without me having to do without something. 
And if I really get interested in helping you, it means that I've got to change something in my life that right now is more comfortable for me. I can't help you and have the premium package from cable TV. I can't help you and go out to eat three or four times a week. I can't help you and, and, and not buy the next greatest thing coming down. I can't help you without it affecting me in some way, not in a significant way. And the Bible tells us that when the love of God truly gets a hold of us, that we will help each other to the point of sacrifice. To the point of sacrifice. James says this, Suppose a brother or sister without clothes or daily food. If anyone says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? Someone's in trouble. We say, I'll pray for you. In the same way, faith by itself, it's not accompanied by action, is dead. Faith doesn't just talk. It empowers. It touches our heart. Let me give you a, a few notes real quickly because I want to get the second point in because it, it relates to this one as well. The kingdom community's response to physical needs. First of all, the kingdom heart sees opportunities to serve for service and wealth. The kingdom community, I'm not talking about what the church should look like, sees opportunity for service and wealth. Wealth can do things. Wealth can serve. Wealth can step up and make a difference. And when a person's spiritual life is peaking the way it should, we see wealth as a greater opportunity for service. Wow, isn't that weird? We, we see opportunity for service. We look at, when is the last time you got a big financial bump? Right? You got more money than you usually get. You filed your income taxes and you got a big old refund. Can I get a witness? You're afraid to admit it, aren't you? You got a bonus. You got this. You, all of a sudden, there's more money in your hands than you normally have. What happened? The Bible tells me as a believer, one thing that ought to happen is when I all of a sudden find myself with some abundance, I should at least entertain the idea that I was put there to help somebody. That I was given that abundance, not just for me, but there might be someone in need. Do you, do you know what it feels like to sit down? If you're single, you sit down by yourself. If you're married, you sit down with your spouse. And you say, here we have some excess funds. There's a need the Lord has put on my heart. How do you feel about this? Let's, let's put some resources into that problem and see if we can relieve their suffering a little bit. Do you know the joy that that brings? Hello? You know the fulfillment? Something inside of you just comes alive. Because God designed us to be people who serve Him through material means. God designed us to be people who care about each other. You guys are just not booking with me today, aren't you? All right. Let's try the second point. The kingdom, of, uh, the kingdom heart places its resources within God's reach. The kingdom heart places its resources within God's reach. 
told you the story before, but it, it bears repeating maybe a little bit, that I remember reading in history where uh, an army was defeated by a Christian army, and they were taking some of the survivors and converting them over to Christianity so that, that uh, they'd have more warriors. And uh, they said the one thing they couldn't do was baptize the right arm of the warriors because that arm had been used to shed blood. So they would baptize all of them except their arm. And I thought so often, how many people have been baptized completely except for their wallet? They, they get it. They love it. They love Jesus. But when it comes to their finances, they just become, uh, no. It's like that is the one thing that's out of reach of God. But a, in the kingdom community, what is mine is actually not mine at all. It's God's. Think about that for a moment. It's a confession. Everything that has my name on it, my wife has name on it, doesn't really belong to us. It belongs to our Lord. And that it has been placed in His ownership and we have been made stewards of it. Wrestle with that for a second. Is everything that I call mine actually God's? Because that is a totally different way of thinking about material things. That these things actually belong to God and they are at God's disposal. He's given them to me to enjoy or perhaps to meet some of my needs. But he also has the right to redistribute them and I should turn loose of them at that time. Yeah, glory to God. Revival's breaking out. Number three, the kingdom heart has to, is tuned in to the needs around it. A person who is in tune with the Holy Spirit also notices. They notice the family across the street who's in trouble. They notice the person across the fence. They notice when they're at work. They notice things that are going on, and they begin to notice things in an eye toward being helpful. So the kingdom community... Um, relieve suffering through generosity. I think before you finish this life, you should have some experiences in charity and generosity. Surely. Amen? I think that you should know what it's like for you and maybe some other folks to get together and pay someone's mortgage payment while they re recover from surgery. You should know what that feels like. You should know what that feels like to show up at someone's house, fill their house up with groceries. That's, that shouldn't be an alien concept to the people of God. You, you should know what it feels like to understand that that single mom's got an automobile that won't run anymore to show up and say, we're going to take this somewhere and get it fixed, no cost to you. We should understand that stuff. That should be common among God's people. We should have memories of times when one of us got in trouble or some of us got in trouble and the rest of us rallied to make sure they didn't go down. That is kingdom community. At a high school economics teacher called me one time and she said reverend now i'm reverend she said reverend i would like you to come and speak to my 12th grade economics class i'd like you to talk to them about 
marriage and um, family finances and all that. And I said, be glad to. And uh, I went in and uh, I was drawing up all the stuff I thought they should know about family economics and marriage and all that stuff. And um, I actually wrote on the board, give away 10% of everything you make every time you make it. And the teacher said, that's interesting. Why would you say that? You know, and of course, it's a biblical principle of tithing, right? Did you guys know that? Just want to make sure. Some of you are a little weak on that one. And the kids are saying, 10%? I said, yeah, give away 10% of everything you make. And I'm talking to a secular group of people who I can't even say for the work of God. But I said this, and I believed it with all of my heart. When you enter the adult world, if you enter stingy, you'll always be miserable no matter what you do. But if you enter generous, you'll always be happy no matter what you do. And I'm telling you, guys and gals, if you will make it a discipline to give away 10% of everything you make, you, it will become your favorite part of your income. It'll become the, your favorite. You'll pull that aside, you'll look at it, and you go, what am I going to do with this? And it, it's going to make you a happier, more whole person. The kingdom of God sometimes forgets that. We've got to move on. You guys are stalling up already. Number four, the kingdom community rejects exploitation. Paul wrote to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, Make room for us in your hearts. I'm going to let that set a minute. Make room for us in your hearts. Some have a perpetual case of loneliness because people have not made room for them in their hearts. Make room for us in your hearts. Why? Because we've wronged no one. We've corrupted no one. We have exploited no one. Our world is full of dangerous relationships, even romantic relationships. They can be dangerous because of exploitation where people are trying to see how much can I get out of this relationship? How much can I use you to make me happy? How much can I leverage this relationship to get what I want from it? That is exploitation. And the kingdom community rejects exploitation to say, I, you can make room for me in your heart. You can let me get close to you. I won't exploit you. I won't manipulate you. I won't see how much I can squeeze out of you. Make room for me. Get close to me because you can trust me not to abuse the privilege. That's what Paul is saying, isn't he? Our fallen nature, here's where things get real. Here's where the church gets relevant. Hello? We all have a fallen nature. And that fallen nature tends to exploit others. We call it selfishness. But we have this fallen nature that wants to put ourselves first, that wants to exploit relationships. 
Exploitation is an attempt to gain the advantage over someone, to get a better deal, to not put them first, but to put yourself first. Settle in here for a second and and really think about this, because relationally, this is a make-or-break issue. It's going to profoundly affect your marriage if and when you get married, or if you're already married. Whether or not your spouse believes they can be so close to you and you will not exploit them selfishly. You will not see how much you can take without giving anything back. Friends, I've got to admit to myself that there is something in me that pushes me to get ahead of others, to exploit other people, to take advantage. There's something in me that pushes me in that direction. If I don't admit that, I can't rebuke it. If I don't see it, I can't rebuke it. If I don't know I have a capacity to be selfish and self-centered and exploitive, then I can't rebuke that. I've got to know it's in me, it's in you, it's in all of us. Think about it for a moment. Because this is what makes us and breaks us in life. Have you ever had a really intense argument? Anybody? I have two, three. (laughs) Really intense argument. I bet you 99.99% of the time, that intense argument is, I am not getting enough from you. Do you ever argue... That says, I'm not giving enough. Argue with someone like this. Say, you know what? I don't think I'm serving you well enough. Oh, yes, you are. No, I'm not. I'm not making enough sacrifice. Yes, yeah, no. I don't want to hear it anymore. I'm not doing a good enough job of sacrificing for you. Oh, shut up. That's not the way we argue, is it? We argue the other way. I had a good friend who's with Jesus now. Her name was Julia Mace. Remember Julia? Anybody remember Julia? She's been gone some years now. But when we first met Julia, she was actually a neighbor when we first moved to town. She attended the church here. And uh, the church at that time could not afford to pay us a full-time salary. I was also building and repairing computers on the side. And I remember Julia needed a computer, and she came to me and said, I understand. And we had this this argument because I said, I can build your computer for this. She said, no way. I'm paying you $200 more than that. I said, oh, no, you're not. Oh, yes, I am. And we had this argument back and forth over. I said, I don't have to charge you that. I can charge you this. I don't want to charge you full price. No, you are taking it. Okay, Julia. In the business world, we expect exploitation, or at least you better. The business world is fraught with exploitation. The business world doesn't want to make a profit. They want to make a huge profit. They, they don't want to make a little money. They want to make a whole lot of money off of you. And if you don't understand that, you, you're going to get in trouble out there in the business world. You have to understand that. Several months ago, I... 
went with my oldest daughter to, to help her shop for a car. And uh, we were sitting there at the, at the table, and this salesman comes to the table, and he says, I've got this offer, and you won't believe it. I mean, I'm going to practically give you this car. And they laid the offer on the table, and I looked at that, and I said, let's go. No, no, no. And about two or three hours later, we did leave with that car, but $7,000 less than that original offer. You know what? It kind of ticked me off. That they could sell that so much cheaper than that original unbelievable offer. It's going to make you think they're going to have to close down for losing money on every car they sell. But that's the business world. But friends, I, I have to warn you, we've got to be careful to keep that out of the body of Christ. Look at this, Second Peter chapter 2, verse 2. Many will follow their shameful ways and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. Watch this. In their greed... These teachers will exploit you with stories they've made up. What will they do? They will exploit you with stories they made up. Their condemnation, their judgment has been long hanging over them, and their destruction has not been sleeping. The TV preacher told you that if you would send your seed faith offering in, you would get your miracle. I want to tell you something, friends, and if I'm wrong, please kindly send me an email (laughs) or a message and, and point out the Scripture. But not once did Jesus ask for money in exchange for a miracle. Not once. Not once did the apostles ask for an offering in exchange for a miracle. Not once. This whole idea that your money is tied to your miracle from them is stories they have made up to exploit you. It's in the body of Christ. It's rampant in the body of Christ. If you want this miracle, send this offering, and this is going to happen, and this is going to happen. It is totally alien to the Scripture. It's exploitation. And it should never happen among God's people. The gospel should never be marketed. I know I get up here once in a while and tell you guys, you need to give. We've got a budget to raise. I'm never going to tell you, you need to give if God's going to heal you. (laughs) You, you You don't sell the things of God. You can't buy them. They're priceless. And how many of us have dealt with that church person who has been blessed with this miraculous multi-level marketing system that God has told them to recruit us into. And it is their duty before God to make sure that we get into this multi-leveling non-pyramid pyramid. And I've gone to war with these folks. I've lost families from the church over this to say, don't build your multi-leveling market out of the church. That is exploitation of spiritual fellowship. Hello? It's exploitation of spiritual fellowship. 
saw a fellow minister not too long ago on social media doing one of these uh, multi-level things, and I called him up. I knew him. He had been a student of mine in one of my teaching classes, and I said, what are you doing? He said, well, I've got this great thing. I said, you can't do that and be a pastor. You cannot use your position as a pastor to recruit people into a money-making scheme that is a violation of the sanctity of your call. And he politely said, it's none of your business. Shut up. So I turned him into the district. (laughs) They handled it very well, by the way. I want to share something with you. That I believe will be a revelation to you. I know I sat back in my office kind of in awe as it began to make sense to me. The most extreme response you ever see from Jesus took place when exploitation and worship were connected. I knew a guy in high school. He was very passive and he was big as a mountain. Huge guy. I better not say his name because these these videos get everywhere. <laughs> but he was very passive and I always loved the guy because he, he was such a sweetheart. But at the same time, you know, he was just big. And I remember there were some guys picking on him one time, just picking and picking and picking. And he snapped. I'd never seen this side of him. Instead of hitting them, he went into our dressing room just before we got dressed for a basketball game, and he destroyed the place. He picked up lockers, slammed. He just went nuts. He was like the Tasmanian devil in there. And one of the coaches from the other team walked all the way across the gym, walked in there, and said, what's wrong with him? And I said, somebody's picking on him. And he said, I'd quit if I were them, you know. I stood in awe of this gentle giant. He just snapped. And I always thought, note to self, (laughs) there's a point where you don't want to push this guy. He could kill you. Will you agree with me that when you look at Jesus in the temple, turning over tables and driving people out, you might want to figure out what he's upset about. Hello? You might want to think... Let's, let's take just a few moments before I, I let you go to the buffets. I want to read. It's on all four Gospels. I'd like to read uh, one of the Matthew, Mark, and Luke all say similar things. But let me read it from Mark because he has a few more details. It says, On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple area and began driving out those who were buying and selling. He overturned the tables of the money changers and, and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he, as he taught them, he said, it is, is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. The one person who takes a different vocabulary to tell this story is John, as he usually does. John chapter 2, verse 13. Let me read that to you. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found men selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others were sitting at tables exchanging money. And so he made a whip. Wow. He made a whip. Do you get that? 
He made a whip out of cords. Anytime Jesus starts braiding cords together, it might be a good time to, to get, get gone. And drove all from the temple area, both sheep and cattle, and he scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned the tables. To those who sold doves, he said, Get these out of here. How dare you turn my father's house into a market? So he is really, really intensely saying, in fact, I don't know of any other story that has the intensity that these stories have of Jesus doing such an extreme thing. Don't you believe, please believe, that we need to understand what he got so mad about? Amen. I want to make some observations. First one. It's not accurate to say he lost his temper. You don't sit down and braid cords into a whip in a rage. He took time. (laughs) He gathered up some cords. He braids them in. He flips over tables, but he doesn't hurt anyone. Jesus' temper was controlled and perfectly directed. He knew exactly what he was doing. He removed those who were carrying merchandise, not those who were not. And he removed the bankers. Jesus wasn't throwing a temper tantrum. He was making a point. He was making a point. This cannot be allowed to stand. There are lines he's saying to his people, you must never cross this line. You must never go here. There are lines that we would never cross with our earthly father, right? Didn't you know that? You know, we all had, most of us had, some of us had, a, a, uh, an observation of our dads. We knew when the right time to ask and the wrong time to ask, right? We knew when to approach and when not to approach. And you know something I never, ever, 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 ever said to my dad was shut up. Because I wouldn't be standing here had I. I never verbally talked back to him. It was a line you did not cross with my dad. Can I get a witness? You just didn't do it, you know. I see kids these days arguing with their parents, talking, saying rude things to their parents. I go, that would have never happened in my case for two reasons, fear and common sense. You you wouldn't have done it. But to me, when I see this in Jesus, I go, Lord, I don't want to ever be on the wrong side of that situation. I don't ever want to be... And that Jesus didn't lose his temper. His temper was perfectly under control. He was making a dramatic point to his kids. Don't you ever do this. Don't ever do this. I won't put up with this. Don't do this. Secondly, don't miss the insight from the synonyms. How many know what a synonym is? For those of you who are not teachers, (laughs) let me explain it. A synonym is two words sound different they mean the same thing and when the bible uses synonyms there is an insight into them matthew mark and luke said 
You have made my house a den of robbers. John said, you've made my house a market. There's a synonym there. There is the assumption that if it's marketing, it's exploitive. Again, that's the economy I want to be a part of. I want to be a part of the economy that people are making a profit and trying to make a good living. But that should never come in to the church of Jesus Christ. I should never look at my brother or sister as a means to financially profit off of them. The synonym, marketing and the den of thieves. It's, there's all kinds of in, insight into that. Listen. Are you listening? It's getting real. Money is a great tester. If you're not careful... You will be at your worst spiritually when it comes to money. That's when you'll be tempted to fudge. That's where you'll be tempted to lie. That's where you'll be tempted to cheat. There's where you'll be tempted to de- defy your integrity. Money. When it comes to money, we all have this tendency to be exploited. We tend to want to get as much as we can through our transactions. If I were selling an automobile, I would want top dollar for it. You say you wouldn't? Yes, you would. We have a tendency to try and take it as far as we think we might be able to get it. And Jesus simply says to the kingdom community, don't you guys ever be like that with each other. Don't ever be like that with each other. Don't ever try to exploit your spiritual relationships for material gain. Just don't do it. And finally, God's ownership makes our relationships holy. My house, my father's house. Something about that description Makes it holy. When God says, this is my house, all of a sudden the relationships become sacred in his house. Are you following me? It changes everything when we are in his house and are members of his household. It changes the responsibility that we have to each other. Look what Paul says. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the household of faith. Listen, listen. How we treat people is profoundly affected by how we feel about that person's father. I don't know if I get away with this using this example, but here's an illustration. I bet if you really, really care about me, it changes the way you think about my kids. And even, God forbid, if you were frustrated with one of them, for my sake, if you really cared about me, you would treat them 
with it, that respect and love because of the way you feel about their father. Here's my point. If God is your father, I've got to be careful how I treat you. If God is your father, you're his baby boy or his baby girl, <laughs> I've got to be careful how I approach you. Because we know, don't we? You don't get on the wrong side of a father and his kids. Or a mother and her kids. You don't. And so we approach people by the household they're in. This is going to be anything but religious. And, and believe me, I'm, I'm trying to find a place to land this plane. Um, you have got to, and I'm uh, me too, you and I, we have got to come to grips with the fact that we tend toward exploitation. It's, it's in us. It's what theologians call depravity, the original sin, whatever you want to call it. It's in us. You say, oh, that's not me. Yes, it is. There's a part of you that wants it to be about you. And if you understand that, God can empower you to defeat it. And you can rise up and be great at this community thing. But if you don't understand it, if you deny it, it will be happening. You'll be driving people away from you. You'll be alienating people. People will be running. And you won't even know why. Because my natural mindset is me. My supernatural mindset is others. Right? And you can wrestle right now and you can deny it and you can say it's not true. But what you really need to do, what I really need to do on a regular basis is say, God, help me to not be selfish. Help me to be good at serving. Help me think about the people in my life. Lord, help me be what my wife needs. Help me be what my kids need. Help me be what my friends need. Help me be that person instead of, Lord, straighten them out so they're what I need them to be. See, it's, it's counterintuitive. And, and that's, that's my message to you today. The kingdom community has to confront its tendency to be exploitive. Make room for us in your heart. We promise we won't exploit you. We'll always have your best in mind. We'll always try to be what you need us to be. You see what happens when you get that community going? It's incredible. It's miraculous. It's it's an outreach just there. All right? Stand with me, please. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. It's off the top of my head. I certainly don't have anything written down. It's just off the top of my head. 
And it's for the courageous. And don't even say it out loud. But in your heart, I think you need to pray. And I need to pray something like this. So I can give you the words, and if you mean them, you can pray them after me. Lord, empower me over my selfishness. Please, sir, put a check in my spirit when I try to make it about me. Give me the spiritual strength to be happy when I sacrifice for those I love. Give me the grace to be joyful when I feel I'm on the short end of things that aren't fair. Help me, Lord, to rise up and be safe that people can open their lives to me trusting that I won't take advantage. Make this a foundation of my life and of our spiritual community. In Jesus' name, amen. Now let's pray. Jesus, if anyone here today doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, I ask you to give them the faith right now to believe in their heart and confess with their mouth Jesus is Lord. That in doing so, they will know that their name is written in the book of life. They don't have to be afraid of hell. They can look forward to heaven and being with you forever. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, please let me know so we can help you get started. God bless you. Thank you for coming today. look forward to seeing you next Sunday. Amen. You're dismissed.